Hi, friends, and welcome to Dr. MC's Self-Care Cabaret Podcast. Do not adjust your settings. I may not be Dr. MC, but instead, podcast producer JC is here to help out introducing this episode. In case it wasn't obvious, Dr. MC is still under the weather, and in the interest of practicing what she preaches, she is taking time to rest. We did not want you to miss a new podcast episode, and hence, here I am. So let's get to uh, what she would like to share with you today. Over the summer, Dr. MC conducted a series of Instagram live conversations with various experts, and they were too good not to share with her podcast listeners. Today, she will be sharing a conversation with Christy Harrison. Christy is an intuitive eating dietitian, host of the Food Psych and Rethinking Wellness podcast, and author of bestsellers The Wellness Trap and Anti-Diet. Christy and Dr. MC discuss the problematic pitfalls of the wellness industry, anti-fat bias, trauma recovery, and eating disorder recovery. Enjoy this conversation. Hi friends, Dr. MC here, hope all is well. Just jumping on here, I will be joined in a couple of minutes by Christy Harrison. I'm so excited to chat with. If you're not familiar with Christy's work, she is the host of the very popular Food Psych podcast, and she's also written two amazing books, Anti-Diet, and her most recent one, The Wellness Trap. So if you're not familiar with Christy's work, you definitely should be familiar with her work. I was introduced to her really early on in my eating disorder recovery journey. Um, so probably, I don't know, seven, I think it's been about eight years at this point. So about eight years ago, I was introduced to her work when I was began working with Anna Sweeney and um, been following her for a long time. So I'm so excited to chat with her. So she should be jumping on soon. See some comments. Um, yes, I'm in my new I Dream a Genie chair i'm the space that i'm in which is my office space i've been reimagining it to kind of have the vibe of um genie's bottle from the tv show i dream a genie so i bought this awesome pink chair which is super comfortable and sturdy so shout out to tov furniture for that and um there's some other areas of the room you should follow along i haven't revealed the full room yet because we're still working on it but there um there's going to be doing new curtains on the other side and some other fun things and i gotta get my art up on the wall as well so it does definitely has the i dream a genie vintage vibe we got some fun anyway here we are and i see that christy just joined us so she'll be requesting to come on and chat i got my notes ready and i'm so excited that you're taking a few moments out of your day it's a little rainy here in the greater boston area so hopefully you're able to join me and, and the screen has split there we go hi hi, hi Teresa. thanks so much for having me yeah thank you i'm just turn my volume up a little bit here there we go don't mind my hand as i do that <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. This is such an honor. I've been following you mm. for so many years. I worked with Anna Sweeney um, to kind of kick off oh, my nice. eating disorder healing journey, shall we say, about eight years ago. And she introduced me to your Food Psych podcast. And I think mm. uh, Anti-Diet came out a couple of years after that. And then, of course, Wellness Trap and all the amazing work you've been doing. So just thank you um, for that mm. and for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. So let's dive in. Great. Do you want to tell folks like just a little bit about how you describe the work that you would do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a couple many. I wear many different hats. I'm an author. Um, like you said, I wrote the book Anti Diet and the Wellness Trap. I'm a journalist. My first career was in journalism, and I have two podcasts now: Food Psych and Rethinking Wellness. 
And I'm also a dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor. And I like to say I'm an anti-diet registered dietitian because, you know, I don't put people on diets. I don't do kind of a lot of things that people think of as traditional dietetics practice. Uh, I work more on helping people heal their relationships with food, heal from disordered eating, reconnect with their bodies and relearn intuitive eating. So yeah, it's just yeah. a little bit about me. Yeah, that is a lot of hats and some important mm -hmm. ones too. So thank you again. And I remember, you know, when I was first kind of starting the healing journey and journey and, and working with Anna and just really I went to Anna with a very specific goal in mind. Basically, I was looking for the recipe for her to help me on how to be thin and just be done with it and be thin for the rest mm -hmm. of my life. That's not what I got because <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> I didn't understand that then. And, you know, she's the one that really introduced me to intuitive eating and joyful movement and all of that and really um, body acceptance and fat acceptance. And, of course, that's mm -hmm. been a journey. And I don't mean to diminish it or the, the ups and downs that have, have come since then. But, yeah, definitely early on, a lot of your food psych uh, episodes were very helpful too. So, um, we didn't realize you had a that. second podcast now. I must've, must've missed that one. So yeah, that's a lot. I managed one podcast on my own. So. <laughs> I've actually, uh, recently stopped making new food psychs for the time being. I had kind of our final season and then I transitioned into this new podcast, which is sort of picking up where we left off with food psych and, uh, delving more into some of the ideas in the new book. So awesome. yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. So in, in your new book specifically, you talk a lot about, you know, all the pitfalls of the, the wellness industry, shall we say. Mm. So I work, um, in addition to my Dr. MC self-care cabaret work, where I help folks um, learn and understand what self-care really means and why it's so critical. I also am an administrator in a public day school. So mm. how would you explain, let's say to a 10-year-old, how, like some of the pitfalls of the wellness industry? Yeah, I think kind of the biggest um, overall pitfall is that it frames itself as helping people's well-being and in fact, often detracts from it. You know, it, it often does the exact opposite of what it's claiming to do. So we see this with, you know, the diet culture aspect of wellness, certainly where people are promised thinness, they're promised, um, you know, perfect eating and like digestive health through, you know, eating very specific ways. And of course, diets don't work. And people often end up totally getting mixed up in their relationship with food, feeling really disordered around food, getting into restrict binge cycling and all of that. And so that's one huge way that the wellness industry fails us. Um, and then there are many other ways too. I think, you know, another one is that it sort of makes people more susceptible to misinformation and even disinformation, which is false information intentionally spread to deceive people. And um, so people get, you know, really caught up in things that are that don't have good scientific evidence behind them that aren't really um, going to be helpful, but that are promised to be helpful. And, you know, I think we see a lot of this on social media. We see influencers who don't have any sort of credentials spreading wellness misinformation, talking about things maybe that worked for them or maybe selling a supplement or, a, you know, sort of working for a company um, behind the scenes and maybe not necessarily making that super clear, but, you know, saying that something really worked for them, help them lose weight, help them, um, you know, fix their health. And oftentimes that comes along with this sort of denigration of conventional medicine as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, conventional medicine is not perfect. I have multiple chronic illnesses myself. I've been through the ringer to get diagnosed with them, to, to get diagnosed with conditions and um, get help for them with conventional doctors. And I've seen so many providers who weren't empathetic, who weren't able to really figure out what was going on for me, who felt dismissive. Um, so I know that there are a lot of problems in the conventional healthcare system. And that's, you know, I'm someone with privilege and insurance and access to care. And so for people with 
fewer privileges than that and, and in more marginalized identities, it becomes even harder to get quality care. You know, the weight stigma in medicine is totally rampant. And so I think people don't have a lot of great access to care, not to mention racism and, and conventional medicine and all of that. So, um, you know, I understand why people are attracted to alternatives and why people want to be able to take matters into their own hands and heal themselves. And then there's so much promise held out by the wellness industry and by wellness influencers and, you know, people who just aren't really credentialed to give information, um, telling people that they need to, you know, stop doing conventional treatments and follow this diet and that's going to fix all their problems mm. or, um, you know, pay attention to your gut health, take these supplements, and that's going to get to the, that's the quote unquote root cause of everything else you're dealing with, right? And there simply isn't evidence to back that up or enough evidence, you know, in some cases, like with gut health, there's like very early stage research on, um, you know, potential dietary changes or supplements, but, you know, oftentimes that isn't borne out in larger scale studies and, Oftentimes the, the supplement studies are funded by the supplement companies or people who have patents for a particular drug. And when you know, studies are replicated, there just isn't found to be any good um, evidence behind these recommendations. So that's you know, a huge piece of it too, is that the wellness industry is full of misinformation, of you know, outright scams in some cases, and it's really preying on people's vulnerabilities and people's desire for quality care that they're often not getting in the conventional healthcare system. I know this is probably all way above a 10 year old's head, so hopefully <laughs> we don't have too, uh, too many 10 year olds watching this, but that's, those are some of the, the broad areas I see as being problematic in wellness culture. Yeah. No, there probably aren't any 10 year olds watching it, but we, we would tell them that they're bullies and that they're, <laughs> they're liars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's definitely, you know, it was my experience and even, you know, trying to seeking help. Once I had kind of realized that I had hit, I really wasn't sure. I didn't understand how much of my rock bottom it kind of was into my mm -hmm. eating disorder. I still thought there was, you know, something wrong with me and that, well, I just must not have cracked the code yet. But I did go to a primary care physician. I saw the nurse practitioner. So somebody that, you know, you should trust. And mm -hmm. this person, I, I, I confessed. I told them all the things I had been doing, all the really bad destructive behaviors. And the woman looked at me and she goes, oh, wow. And you still just can't lose the weight, huh? And I was like, what? <laughs> I think you oh missed God. it. And I'm like, oh my God. And then I could tell, I was like, okay, this is not, this is not going away. And then she actually said, too bad there aren't like just a fat pill you could take. And mind you, I wasn't even like at this point, cause I, I had been starving myself essentially. I really wasn't even that heavy and oh you know, by whatever standard. And she, yeah, I was just remember being like, oh, I don't, I mean, anything like that is my understanding it's just like it's really bad i'm really just looking for a referral so i can work with this dietitian that i've heard is really cool and like mm -hmm. can we just do this and then it ended up being a whole mess and I ended up changing pcp so i could get to somebody mm -hmm. else i just wanted to get to anna because i knew that i had heard about her and i was like oh this seems like a more um a better path but if i had listened to that woman like i think back on that all the time because they had recommended some other fat clinic they wanted me to go to and like mm -hmm. who knows what that was but like, I think that and I'm like, what if I had listened to her? How many other people was she saying that to? And how many of those people listened to her and went that route? Right. <sighs> Which is scary. why I think so few people get the help and care they need for eating disorders and disordered eating. It's, it's just rampant. And yeah, it's, it's so sad that primary care providers aren't more educated on eating disorders and don't understand, you know, the stuff that you were telling her. It's like that deserves empathy and support and care and referrals right. and, you know, whatever else 
she could give, not like, oh man, well, you just couldn't lose the weight. Right. Well, it's like the, what's wrong with you? <laughs> the opposite <laughs> direction. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred yeah. percent. So, I mean, and, and like you, you know, I had been kind of a lifelong dieter for many years to, to kind of get mm. to that point until things really spiraled out of control. Cause I find for me, at least anytime, like the new diet, you know, I gain the weight, gain a little bit more than, okay, now time to start again. I mm -hmm. tighten screws a little bit more every time. It's like, nope, this one's going to work. This mm. one's going to work. Now we got it. It's this one. It's keto. It's this, it's that. So what's some advice that you might give to someone who is convinced that like this one will work? This is the one we're going to try this new diet. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I totally empathize with people in that position. I was in it myself many times too. And so I don't want to, you know, shame anyone for thinking diets are going to work or for wanting to try a diet. Right. Like there's so many sociological reasons why people are pressured into that. Um, and I think it's really important to take the long view and sort of look at the whole trajectory of the diet. So the typical trajectory is that people lose a little bit of weight in the short term and then end up regaining it in the long term. And that's, that's how diets work, right? It's like, you know, almost all diets, virtually every diet that is, you know, people could possibly go on is going to have that effect. Virtually all people who go on diets are going to have that um, experience where they, they might lose some weight in the short term or not. You know, a lot of people don't even lose weight on diets in the first place, but those who do, you know, you'll see some weight loss in the, the first six to 12 months and then weight gain starts happening more and more rapidly over time. And um, so, you know, that's the, that's sort of what we need to keep in mind as we look at individual experiences with diets, you know, people might feel like, okay, this is working, but then like life gets in the way mm. and, oh, I can't sustain it because it's my fault. I just, don't have the willpower or I have my, my life is too busy and there's too much going on. And so I wasn't able to stay on the diet, but if I had just stuck with it, if I had just kept going on this diet, I would have been, you know, lost the weight and, and kept it off forever. Right. And that simply isn't true. Um, you know, the, the idea that life gets in the way or that it's somehow your fault for not having enough willpower. Um, you know, it might be true that life gets in the way in the sense that like you want to have more of a life than diets will allow you to have, but, and, you know, diets are not designed to work in the long term in that, in that way. So there's always going to be something that comes in. And even for people who um, do stay on a diet, you know, and, and keep following the plan really strictly long term, oftentimes they'll still get, regain the weight, even mm -hmm. doing the same things. And that is physiological. That's our body's way of protecting us. That's our body's way of ensuring our survival. And so, you know, when our bodies sense famine and restriction and too little energy coming in, there's a series of biological adaptations we have to make us regain the weight, to make us hungrier and less satisfied when we eat and think about food more and have more food seeking behaviors and, you know, be driven towards foods that are higher energy that are going to give us more bang for our buck. And so, you know, all of those things are um, kind of built into the human system, you know, for the vast majority of people. There are some people who have um, sort of more, you know, just restrictive type of eating disorders who don't really have those sort of biological adaptations. Mm. And that's um, another whole can of worms, right? For someone who starts a diet and then it begets more and more and more restriction and suddenly your, you know, your diet is very limited, you're not getting enough to eat and you're having all kinds of other complications, right? So, so diets can spiral into anorexia for people, mm -hmm. um, but oftentimes they will, you know, result in more like a binge eating or restrict binge cycling, or just, even if it's not technically binging, it's like restrict rebound where you're rebound eating to try to make up for um, all the food that you were missing. And that's really natural. And that's our body's way of protecting us. So to try to understand that and have compassion for that, that 
you know, if and when that happens to you on this diet that you're really excited about, know that it's not your fault, that this is how diets, again, are, are really designed to work, even if they say otherwise, right? They try to convince us that it's our fault when we can't stick to the diet or when the diet stops working. But actually, this is, you know, what happens with virtually every diet. So you're not alone. There's nothing wrong with you if you can't stick to a diet. Um, it's completely understandable. It's so twisted, though, how we still feel, though, like we're the failure. Like mm -hmm. we, we failed. We couldn't, we couldn't, you know, I don't know, keep it going or do sustain it long enough or whatever it is. And that's just, you know, society and fat phobia and all of that, like just making us feel like we're the failure. And it took a right. long time, at least in my experience, to kind of realize, no, I didn't fail. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I did not fail. As a matter of fact, my body saved my life. Biology saved my life with, by you know, those things kicking in. And then all of a sudden it was harder to lose weight and I couldn't get below a certain point. And no matter how much I tightened the screws, it just, it backfired. Um, yeah. Is kind of how I, how I describe it from my own experience. And, but then, and then the weight came on with a vengeance and that was my body, in my opinion, probably saving itself being like what mm -hmm. is happening like we need food like you've been starving me for too long and over exercising and doing all these other terrible things that were not healthy and like the amount of time yeah. I think back like to the amount of time that, and energy that I spent thinking about food like I don't even know how I had time to like stress out about it so much like it was so so consuming so yeah I definitely empathize with anybody still struggling with that for sure yeah, it takes away so much of your life, so much of your brain space, so much time, energy, money, happiness. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately it just it doesn't it doesn't give you what it promises. No, it doesn't. Hey friends, we've got some exciting news for our podcast listeners. Are you ready to take self-care and body positivity to a whole new level? We're thrilled to announce the grand opening of the Self-Care Cabaret Shop. And here's what sets us apart. We are proudly size inclusive and there are no additional fees for extended sizes because every body is beautiful. We've got a fantastic range of self-care and body love merchandise just waiting for you. From cozy sweatshirts and stylish tees to empowering accessories, perfect for showing off your confidence and self-love. So head on over to drmcselfcare.com slash shop and grab your favorite items today. It's time to celebrate you. Cheers. Did you hear the news about our exciting new offering from the Self-Care Cabaret? We're calling it Talkback. If you're familiar with the theater space, you may have participated in a Talkback before. After a performance, the cast and crew will come back on stage to chat with the audience and answer questions. Think of it as a casual guided discussion. Inspired by this and by popular interest, we've come up with a Talkback for the Self-Care Cabaret podcast. Groups will listen to a podcast episode or two of their choosing. Then I'll come and lead your discussion either in person or virtually of those episodes, expanding on the big ideas. It's a great option for groups looking for short, impactful professional development or smaller teams looking to get an introduction to self-care and well-being. We have done a few of these so far, and let me say, they have been so much fun. So if you're interested in bringing a talk back to your group or organization, email podcast at drmcselfcare.com. And now, on with the show. 
So what might be, you know, maybe some signs for someone if they suspect maybe they're, they're struggling with food or, or their relationship with food, what might be some early maybe warning signs for folks? Yeah, so there's a, a number of warning signs. I think one is thinking about food constantly, you know, having thoughts of food that are intrusive throughout the day, even if you've just eaten, starting to mm -hmm. think about your next meal or snack, um, feeling hungry all the time, right? And, and that can take many forms. So, you know, one sign of hunger is constant thoughts of food. Another is, you know, fatigue, difficulty concentrating. There are things that are sort of, you know, feel more psychological that might seem on the surface to have nothing to do with hunger, but actually are, are signs of physiological hunger for many people. Headaches, nausea, those kinds of things are often signs of extreme hunger. Mm -hmm. um, digestive issues, you know, sort of um, at, the, at the physiological level, people can start to have, you know, constant fatigue, difficulty um, with, you know, menstruation or hormones, like hormonal issues pop up, um, dry skin, dry hair, brittle, you know, breaking hair and nails. Um, feeling cold all the time, you know, some of those um, signs of just not getting enough energy into your body, right, are, are um, often the case. And binge eating is another one or feel or, you know, just even feeling out of control with food, even if it's not an objective binge, but, a, you know, more of a subjective binge where you feel like you're, you're eating past fullness, you're not able to stop, right, you're feeling out of control especially around particular types of foods. Like I know for myself, when I was in my disordered eating days and eating disorder days, I would feel like, oh, I can't be around carbs because I'll just binge on them. I like have to restrict myself from them. And of course I would go to a party and you know, there would be carbs there and right. I would stand near the table the entire night and you know, couldn't stop eating it. And would be like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Well, nothing actually. It was my body's way of restoring the balance that it needed to have. I was restricting energy. I was restricting carbs. And you know, when presented access to carbs, of course, my body was driving me towards, towards that food. And that was um, a very common, very understandable reaction. So yeah, if you, if you notice any of those signs and symptoms, um, I think that's a good, you know, red flag or warning sign that potentially you're dealing with some disordered eating. But I think a lot of people, you know, at, deep down at the fundamental level often know that something is not right in their relationship with food, whether it's, you know, I've tried so many diets and nothing's ever stuck and I'm just constantly banging my head against a wall with diets and I feel really bad about myself. I feel really guilty. I, you know, don't feel good about my body. I, I hate my body, right? Like those kinds of things are, um, definitely signs to listen to, you know, if you, if you recognize any of that in yourself, I think you deserve help for healing your relationship with food, whatever that may look like for you, even if it's not, you know, a clinical eating disorder, um, people with people all along the spectrum of disordered eating need and deserve help for recovery. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And in a lot of my work, also, I talk about like trauma sensitive for, for education, mm -hmm. like how to create trauma sensitive classrooms and what it's like to work with folks that have been impacted by trauma and how to build resilience. And, and in my work, I talk a lot about how self-care actually helps you build resilience, which we know helps folks kind of overcome trauma. And we're talking about like real self-care, not like mani-pedis, so, like the real, there is an expensive <laughs> spa days, but like the real, real self-care that we have to do. And, and I always talk about intuitive eating and kind of you know, some of that when we talk about the nutrition hydration domain, but I'm wondering, you know, how do you see kind of um, like the intersection of eating disorders um, and then recovery with resilience and um, mm -hmm. kind of how that kind of plays into in trauma and how that kind of what that through line is. Yeah, I think one aspect of trauma, I'm someone with PTSD myself. So I've had a lot of 
experience personally with trauma recovery and done a little bit of you know investigating into the evidence and um, what I found is really that trauma often disconnects us from our bodies right we're often um, not engaged with what's going on sort of below the neck like oftentimes we'll really live in our heads and um, not be connected to you know signs and symptoms coming from the body like hunger and fullness cues or like you know pain and, and chronic conditions that might be happening um, and you know, trying to get a handle on all that can feel really overwhelming too when you're really disconnected from your body. So um, I think, you know, one way that intuitive eating and, you know, recovery from diet culture can be helpful and sort of an adjunct to trauma recovery. And I think helps like helps things build on itself too, is that um, it helps people reconnect to their body's cues in a specific way. You know, you kind of start out in a specific domain of hunger and fullness, but that can have ripple effects across all kinds of different, you know, physical sensations and cues and also can have ripple effects into recognizing like, okay, when I'm starting to reconnect with my hunger and fullness cues, it brings up a lot of emotions, you know, it can, it can be really tough to heal from diet culture, to let go of dieting, to let go of the sense of hope that dieting might've given you or the sense of distraction that it might've given you, right? That it can, it can sort of distract sometimes from some of the deeper issues and it can feel like you're, it's a coping strategy for a lot of people, right? And it's a coping strategy for, you know, external oppression for some people as well, right? From the, the fat phobia that people face in society, in their families, you know, internally, externally. Um, and so there's that piece of it too, right? Is like learning to cope with those external forms of oppression um, in ways, you know, obviously we need to change society to make that not happen <laughs> in the first place, right? But also... Um, while we're doing that, while that's, you know, a long road ahead, um, individuals can have some self-care strategies to, to, you know, be resilient towards those things as well. Um, but I think intuitive eating, you know, I've often had clients tell me, and I know this was my experience too, of feeling like once I started, you know, tapping into my intuition around food, I also started tapping into my intuition around other things about, you know, relationships and what feels you know, safe and good versus what's triggering anxiety and sort of intuitively feels off. Um, you know, I've found this in my like information literacy work too, that sort of tuning in intuitively to like what feels good and what feels like, oh, there's something just a little bit off here. And I'm getting this like, you know, subtle feeling that, that something's not right. Um, that can be helpful to listen to. Not, you know, not that we need to do everything by intuition alone. Um, Cause I think that would be problematic too, right? Trying to like heal yourself intuitively without any sort of medical support for conditions that you might need that for. Sure. Um, and I think the, you know, maybe intuitive um, sense of like something isn't right here. I need to keep seeking out more help. I need to keep seeking more information um, can sometimes lead you to actual care and support that is right, you know? And so listening to intuition in those ways, I think is really valuable. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I think, you know, you said at the beginning when you were answering the question about just being disconnected from your body. That's a huge theme that I see in my work. And I'm always telling folks like, you know, even simple things, like I always start my workshops, like let's just take a second, kind of just be here. Just tell me how you're feeling. How are you feeling? Even just taking that moment to just maybe quickly scan your body to see like, how am I feeling? Cause we tend to just run from one thing to the next and, and meeting to meeting and choking down food and or skipping meals and just being so disconnected that a great self-care practice is just trying to reconnect and ground. And it can be as simple as just asking yourself how you're feeling or what you're doing, or if you can take an extra minute or so and just kind of get quiet and 
just check in with your body to see what's going on. Are you mm -hmm. feeling tense? Or are you hungry? Or you need to go to the bathroom? Are you thirsty? Like even just stuff like that can make just a huge difference. You know, there's that misconception also around self-care that it has to be, you know, long and expensive and time consuming and it's a luxury and it's all these things. It's like, no, it can take like two seconds <laughs> to mm -hmm. check in with yourself and that can be really powerful. Um, so you mentioned you know your um the sources and stuff and, and looking for information out there's so much like misinformation out there and so i'm wondering how do you kind of personally um you know vet the material that you're researching and kind of decide maybe some tips for folks to kind of watch out for when they're looking mm -hmm. at different material yeah so one thing i do personally and that you know people can do even if they don't have a huge scientific background is like looking at pubmed which is the repository the government the u.s government's repository for scientific information, um, scientific scholarly studies, mm -hmm. and just, you know, seeing what's out there on a particular um, idea by filtering through like saying like only randomized controlled trials. Let me see what the randomized controlled trial data says about this particular case um, or particular question or whatever, because um, the thing is there's so much evidence out there that's like early preliminary evidence that is done in animals or cell cultures in the lab or possibly, you know, when it gets a little bit further, there's like small groups of volunteers who are not randomized to receive a particular intervention, but they're just people who enrolled in a study and said, I'd like to get, you know, such and such supplement for um, Crohn's disease or whatever. And, you know, there's research done on those people, but those kinds of research really can't tell you much about clinical um, efficacy for a particular treatment, especially like animals and cell cultures. They're so different from humans, from mm -hmm. what actually happens in the human body. And even the studies in the groups of people who volunteered for a type of treatment, those people are going to be very different than the kinds of people who didn't volunteer for the treatment. And so oftentimes there's a correlation causation confusion that happens there. And so sure. knowing what's happening from randomized controlled trial data just shows you like, okay, for people who received a placebo versus people who received the treatment, what is the difference? And did the treatment have any significant effect above the placebo? I think that's just helpful to look at if you're considering any sort of treatment, um, you know, whether it's something that your doctor recommended or you saw on social media. Um, unfortunately, sometimes doctors will get caught up in hype these days now too around a particular supplement or diet trend or something like that. Um, speaking of social media, I think one huge thing for, you know, keeping yourself um, out of the flow of misinformation is not to get health and wellness information from social media. And I realize the irony of saying that as we're on an Instagram live, right? <laughs> I mean, certainly there's good starting points that you can find on social media. So you can find, you know, this is maybe a good jumping off point to look into more, um, sure. you know, deeper sort of non-social media related work on the subject. You know, my books, for example, but not just my stuff, you know, Anna Sweeney, you mentioned like other people in this um, anti-diet space. Um, you know, you can sort of start to dig into their work a little more, a little bit more. Um, but just getting information off of social media is really problematic because social media algorithms incentivize the most novel, the most extreme, the most controversial thing, because that's what keeps people clicking, spending time on the platforms right. and therefore earning the platform's money, you know, and that's literally their business model. That's, that's how they make their money. And so, you know, controversy really sells on social media platforms. And that's why we see influencers with these wild ideas becoming so popular sure. um, and i think it's really important to step away from that and sort of recognize the the way that social media pushes us towards those extremes and to say okay what does the evidence say you know separate from this and not to get yourself caught up in something that's just 
you know, somebody who's really charismatic, who doesn't have any sort of health credentials, but, you know, has an idea or says that something worked for them um, can be very persuasive, but that's not good evidence, actually. That's, you know, anecdotal information is not the same as scientific evidence. And there's certainly value in lived experience and then, you know, listening to other people's um, experiences and learning from them and, you know, thinking about what could potentially work for you. But if someone's sole source of evidence for something is this worked for me, I would be very, very wary <laughs> because, you know, we really need better quality evidence than that to, to Absolutely. No, I kind of laugh sometimes. Like I'll, I'll see those influencers or whatnot or different things. And I'm like, what are these credentials? What, what is mm -hmm. this? <laughs> but whatever. And I always tell them folks too, you know, make sure that your social media feeds, like you're in control. So like mm -hmm. if you, you're seeing stuff that's not making you feel good, unsubscribe, unfollow, hide, block, whatever. Like you mm -hmm. don't need to see that. And like, even so like I've, I've done a lot of cultivating of my feed on social media platforms. Every once in a while, like these trash diet ads pop up and I'm like, come on. I just report mm -hmm. them. I'm sure, I'm sure Zuckerberg cares a whole lot, but um, <laughs> I'm always like, nope, this is spam. Whatever, <laughs> get this out of my face because I don't want to yes. see it. Especially if it's on, if it's on my feed. So um, before we wrap up, just curious, what's your, what's your favorite summer meal? So we're mm, here, uh, it's kind of rainy here where I am. I'm in the Boston mm -hmm. area, but um, what's your favorite summer meal? Yeah, I've been enjoying just everything on the grill lately. It's, you know, kind of changes day to day, but hot dogs, hamburgers, you know, the classics um, and, you know, grilled veggies, grilled corn, all the things. I feel like that's, you know, to me, not having to cook indoors and being able to like take the, the heat of the kitchen outdoors mm. and, you know, have something that's still hot and savory and delicious, but like that I didn't have to heat up my house making yeah. is really fun. And just grilling with friends and stuff is always fun. So yeah, we like to do that too. We have my husband and I, we have a little area of our yard. We call it the bistro and that's mm -hmm. where we'll, we can eat alfresco out there. And, and he's, he's really yeah, yeah. good on the grill and we've gotten pretty creative. We grilled pizzas before that's fun. Mm -hmm. Um, that's and all awesome. kinds of things. So that's fun. So yeah, it's definitely grilling season. So for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. I want to be respectful of your time. We've been on for about a half hour. Um, I really, just thank you for all the work you're doing and continue to do. And I very much appreciate your Thanks so much for listening to this special podcast episode from our summer IG live series. Dr. MC regularly goes live on Instagram to chat with other experts and amplify voices. So be sure to follow along at Dr. MC self care. You could also tell her that her, Step in host did an amazing job with this episode, but I'm going to leave that to you in case you missed it. Dr. MC has also been hosting virtual pop-up 30 minute dance parties called dance break with Dr. MC joyful movement for all bodies. A participant described it as the best kept secret in fitness. These happen at 4 PM Eastern standard time, low impact movement, but high end fun. All bodies and abilities are welcome. Head to Dr. MC's IG bio to register or check out the link in the episode notes. See you next time. Maybe it'll be me. Maybe it'll be Dr. MC. Too soon to tell.